Last time on Stone Cold Mysteries. Um, oh, a young man died here last night in the practice room. The boxing club members discovered him this morning and called me over. So that I could bless the body and- Guys, she can tell us if Patrick was actually murdered. He committed suicide, it says so right in his note. I'm the water girl. I worked with Robert Summers. He wanted to be a boxer like the rest of us, but he stayed an errand boy. Until a year ago, actually. A year ago today. He hung himself right here in the back room. Another suicide? Yeah, another one. I should have known that he was depressed. He seemed to get new bruises every time he came in here. I wouldn't really call them injuries bruises. It was more like senseless beatings. I just can't believe we got the same priest to come bless Patrick who blessed Robert. The body is quite stiff. That means that rigor mortis set in at least 24 hours ago. The body reeks because of body odor. The gunshot wound where he shot himself isn't burned. The gun here is just resting in his hand. So the gun was placed after his death? There's a piece of paper in his pocket. It says, we need to talk. Meet me in one of the practice rooms tonight. The blood spatter on his hand is cut off. So that means someone did murder him and they took something out or off of his hands after the gunshot blew a hole in his head and blood spattered everywhere. We walked into our building this morning to practice like usual. We walked into the back to be greeted by one of our members, dead as a doornail, having shot himself sometime after we left yesterday. Which is what we all thought until Miss Stone came in here and proved us all wrong. She said that she knew he was murdered because there was no burn or black marks around the entry wound of the bullet. He stunk of sweat, the suicide note was off, he was meeting someone last night and the blood spatter on his hand was cut off, like someone removed something. Don't forget that she thinks someone placed the gun in his hand after his death. I knew it! I I knew he was murdered all along. We want what you did yesterday and your relationships with the deceased. You should also throw in what you know about your crew concerning the dead man. Everyone decided to go out to Tankards last night for a stiff belt before our big day. We left around 7 p.m. and I locked up behind. Do you know when everyone left the bar? Can't say I do. Violet and I left before everyone else to go back to my apartment. We left at 8 p.m., but I don't know when everyone else left. Continue on with your relationship to Patrick Richson. I never really liked him. I caught him stealing from our safe in the back once. Sounds like a mo- when did you and the others leave this place last night? We left around 7 last night. Andrew locked up and we went to Tango's for drinks. I think I only had one or two drinks before Andrew and I left at 8-ish. What was your relationship to the deceased? I don't really like him, especially with the way he treats Kara. He beats up on Kara emotionally for being a woman hard hitter. Did everyone leave pugilism last night? We were all going to celebrate the fight happening tomorrow by going out to Tankards. I think we all left around 7 o'clock. Do you know when people left? Not everyone, but some. I know that Andrew and Violet left around 8. Mark and I left around 9 to go back to his apartment. Can you give us your relationship to Mr. Richson? Patrick was complete scum, to put it bluntly. He harassed me because of the abilities I had to be a hard hitter. I hated it. Anything else we should know? I overheard Andrew yelling at Patrick for stealing money from us safe. He said that he should kill Patrick for such a betrayal of trust. We just want to know when you left Tankards and if anyone left with you. Also, give us your relationship to the deceased. I left Tankards with Kara. I think around nine or something. Is that all that happened last night? I remember waking up in the middle of the night to relieve myself in the loo and Carl wasn't in the bed. What about your relationship to Mr. Richson? I hated him. He always harped on Kara. He made me so angry whenever he did that. I swear I could have killed him every time he disrespected her. He had no right to do it. I wanted to ask you one more thing. It's about Robert Summers. I guess there's not really much to say about Robert except for some reason he seemed to look up to Patrick even though Patrick definitely looked down on him. I'm pretty sure Sharon was dating Robert. When did you and Patrick leave Tankers last night? I left before Patrick. At 9.30 I believe. What was your relationship with the deceased? He was technically my boss since I was a water girl. I wouldn't really call Call him a friend, either. Can you just tell us anything else you know? I did notice that a year after Robert was working here, bloodstains started to appear on the mat. We just thought that you could give us a different insight on the case. Mr. Summers died last year, October 10th, 1889. Everyone looked quite upset over the death of Mr. Summers, and rightfully so. Although Mark and Sharon looked especially upset, I believe Sharon was crying the most. The only one who didn't seem upset was Mr. Richson. He looked like he didn't care at all, and I remember him leaving halfway through the procession. I did have three confessions in a span of a month that concerned the death of Mr. Summers, one from Miss Smith, Mr. Carlisle, and Miss Terry. I remember Miss Smith saying that she felt awful about the death of Mr. Summers, how she just wished she asked him more questions about the bruises on his face. She liked Mr. Summers and was really hurt, especially since Mr. Carlisle was his best friend. She said that she felt even more hurt since Mr. Carlisle was. Then she got angry at Mr. Richson for leaving the procession and told me to forgive her for what she was going to do and then left. Mr. Carlisle asked me to forgive him 
for not being a better friend to Mr. Summers. His confession was quite sad. He had no anger like Miss Smith. It was all about his shortcomings to Mr. Summers. Miss Terry talked to me like she was Mr. Summers' sister. She felt so much pain and was crying to me, asking me to take her away from her pain. Of course, time is the only thing that would help, but I knew that would console her. Then about two weeks ago, she came in again about Mr. Summers. She said that she wished that she could see Mr. Summers again to tell him that she was sorry and that she was wanting to give him a gift for the day that he died. I don't know how that constitutes a confession, but I guess that she thought the only way to talk to him was through me. Chief Shepard, Miss Stone, I've got news. As I was looking through the space where Mr. Richson died, I happened to see a group of lockers with all the names of the members here. I thought to myself, maybe some clues in the case would be in the lockers. So I looked through them all. None of the lockers had anything weird in them except for a locker with Robert Summers on the front. It was jammed pretty tight and the only one with a lock on it. So I had to get the lock taken off and pry open the door. Once I opened it, I found some really strange things. A rope that was tied up as a noose, bloody men's shirts crumpled up in a bag in the corner, and these sweaty bandages with blood droplets splattered all over them. Plus, I found this suicide note in an envelope marked from Robert Summers to Sharon Terry. Dear Sharon, I will miss you, but I have to do this. I thought I was going to become what I wanted, but I was lied to. All my pain and suffering to just get laughed at to my face. Abused even more and left knowing that I was a pathetic person as well as gullible. I shouldn't have believed what he said, but I must go now. I can't live knowing what I've done. Giving up my pride and dignity, even my soul, to obtain something that I could never reach. I don't want to live anymore. Life was hard to begin with, but I will always love you. And I hope that we can be together again. Signed, Robert. Sad, but kind of cryptic, don't you think? Oh no, Shepard. In fact, I think this has helped solve the puzzle. Let's gather the suspects, Shepard. I've just cracked the case! Now we return to Samantha Stone saying she's cracked the case with boggled looks from police officer Sherry and Chief Shepard. What? Already? My thoughts exactly. You got the answer from this scrawny piece of paper? Not just from the paper, but from all the evidence that was laid out for us. But let's continue this with the suspects. I'm sure they would love to know who killed their... friend. We might just solve two mysteries. Two? Well, gee, let's go on then. Shepard, Stone, and the two officers... Walk out to the suspects. Finally. Is everything done? Do, do you know what happened? Yes. But to tell the ending, I must tell the beginning. Hey, Chief, does your girl always speak in riddles? Lay off it, Mark. Just let her speak, okay? I mean, we have to start with Robert Summers before we can get to Patrick Richson. What? But Robert wasn't the one murdered here. He actually did commit suicide. In a sense, he was murdered. By Patrick Richson. <gasps> okay, okay, Miss Stone. I think you're stretching it a bit far there. Just because the lad didn't seem to like Mr. Summers doesn't mean he killed the boy. I was one of the officers who dealt with these investigations. He definitely killed himself. Sure, he committed suicide, but it's because Mr. Richson drove Mr. Summers to do so. Let me tell you how. Summers was a water boy here at Pugilism and eventually became so fascinated with boxing that he wanted to become a fighter himself. Summers wanted it so bad, but none of you would let him. Although, when he turned to Richson, Richson promised that he would make Summers a boxer. The catch was that Summers had to take everything that Richson dished out so that he could become stronger and a boxer. Unfortunately, Richson never intended to make Summers a boxer. All Summers was becoming was a punching bag. So that's why he would show up, beaten senseless and looking black and blue. Not to mention that he still looked up to Richton and didn't say how he got beaten up because he thought that this was making him stronger and explains the bud on the mat in the ring. But one day, Summers pushed Richton too much, probably asking for the umpteenth time when he was going to be strong enough and Mr. Richton lost his facade. He broke it to the boy, probably in a terrible, horrendous way, that Summers was never going to be a boxer. That all his training was just an excuse for Richton to beat him up. That's when Summers finally looked in a mirror and saw what he had become. A mangled teenager lied to, with an irreplaceable broken spirit. He wrote the suicide letter, directing it to his gal, Miss Terry, and claimed his life. So, what about the murder of Patrick? Does it even really matter who did it? We know he deserved it, and I told you, Miss Stone, I wasn't his girlfriend. And I believe that to be a lie. I believe you two were together, maybe secretly, but together nonetheless, why would that suicide letter seem so sad and totally directed to you? If there wasn't a romantic relationship between you two, then it would have made sense to write the suicide letter ambiguously. But that wasn't the case. But why would she lie? For another reason. 
so that her murder of Patrick Rishon would be harder to pinpoint. If someone found out that Summers killed himself because of Richson, then they might link it back to her. She hid her love for Summers so that her murder would not be linked back to her. What? Miss Terry murdered him? But why? She killed him because he essentially killed Summers. The priest said that Richson didn't feel any remorse for Summers at all. He even left halfway through the funeral procession. He didn't care about Summers, not one little bit. But here's how a twisted justice was served. After everyone left Tankards yesterday, Richson left to go back to pugilism, per the note that he got before he left to go to Tankards. The one that said to meet someone back at the practice room one. The one that Sharon Terry left for him. Once he got bored waiting, or maybe he just wanted to, he started to exercise by punching the bag or something. When Miss Terry came in, she probably caused him to punch the bag harder and faster, while getting him angrier, so he would physically exert himself, which is why the body was so stiff. I guess you teased him or something. Then, while he went to the wall, or maybe a bench to take a breather, you shot him in the head, and he fell against the wall where we saw him. You made sure to drop the suicide note on the ground and take away any evidence that he was exercising beforehand. You took away the bandages that are used for punching so you won't hurt your knuckles, which was the reason why the blood was cut off unnaturally, and you might have also wiped the sweat off his head. The only thing you didn't think of was that, when he sweat like a pig, that he would smell like one too. Along with the fact that the shot to the temple wasn't like a suicide shot, the blood on the hand shouldn't have been unnaturally cut off. You then stuffed all this evidence into Summer's locker. No one would think of looking there. Your deed being done, you left the building and waited for the morning when the suicide would be believed. You just didn't count on me coming in. Why would you do that? We were so close to winning the championship. Plus, you gave away your life just to kill someone who wasn't worth it. Does she really have to go? Patrick was scum. Her justice was deserved. She's not a bad person. Yeah, I mean, what if she really didn't kill him? How do you know? It was Summer's suicide note and her confession to the police that tipped me off. Summer's told Miss Terry some beautiful words that caused her to feel even worse about his death. She still didn't know what the seemingly cryptic words were, but she was distraught. She went to the priest to confess her pains and sorrows and ask for a reprieve. Sometime after that initial confession, after the funeral procession, she came in two weeks ago saying that she was going to give a gift to Summer's for the day he died. I believe that gift was a gift of vengeance. She killed Richin on that day that Summers died, as a suicide for what Richin did to him, and a sense of symbolism. The day and the way he died was to praise Summers. The only thing I couldn't figure out was how she realized that Richin was the reason Summers gave up his life. It's because he told me. Our whole group was at Tankard's a little more than two weeks ago. Patrick and I were the last ones to leave again, but he got very drunk. I remember crying because Robert's anniversary was coming up and he laughed at me. He said that I shouldn't cry over a worthless life that can't take a little bit of a disappointment. He said that Robert was a weak coward and couldn't handle the beatings that Patrick gave him. And that's why he'd never be a boxer. He told me that his face was priceless when Robert found out that his ugly face and bruises were only because he was a gullible pig. Then, then after he laughed some more, he... He told me the only thing he regretted was that he couldn't keep the charade long enough for the punches to kill him instead. That... that's rough. But I think I feel relieved that Miss Stone found the real killer instead of condemning my friends. But I still have one last gift to give to my Robert. He wanted to see me again, and there's no better day than the day he died to do that. Miss Stone, thank you for freeing my friends. I just wish you could have saved me. What do you mean? In the blink of an eye, Terry raises the gun that she killed Richson with up to her head. She's about to pull the trigger when Stone makes a split decision and pushes up on her hand. The bullet shoots out and hits the ceiling, saving the girl. What are you doing? I have nothing to live for! Let me be with Robert! This isn't the way to go, Sharon! It's a coward's way out to give up because you were caught! Face your judgment before the judge! Do you really want to kill yourself in front of the people who love you? Is this really the right thing to do? You were the one who killed Richson. Face that head on. Live your life to the fullest and make choices that you can be proud of. Sharon, if you can't live for yourself, live for Robert. Do you think that Robert would be happy if you killed yourself for his sake? Don't you think he loves it when you're happy? He lives through you, Sharon. A few years of penal servitude wouldn't be that bad. Besides, you've got all these folks here that would rather have seen a murder go unsolved than see you taken away and definitely don't want you to die. Don't worry, friend. You'll be back here with them in no time. Robert loved you so much, Sharon. Don't do this to him. Yeah, what she said. Poor kid. Remember, we are here for you, Sharon. Anything you need at all. Terry drops to her knees, sobbing. (laughs) 
Take her away. That was some quick thinking you did there. I'm glad she didn't die. Yes, I hope I said the right things. By the way, are you ever going to tell me why you were here at the boxing arena? <sighs> I guess you won't stop hounding me until I tell you, will you? I was here... I was here because I almost died, Shepard. I was completely helpless and my life could have ended right there. It scared me, Shepard. And I don't want to be helpless. You aren't helpless, Stone. Besides, he was a deranged man. Let's just remember to always confront a murderous person together. Then you don't have to be afraid. There's strength in numbers, and I promise to not make some stupid competition again. So, you'll protect me? Is that what I'm getting from you? Yes. So no more confronting killers on my own? That's right. And no more competitions? Right. So you'll hire me for every murder, then? Yes, right. Wait, what? No! Nope, you said yes! Too late! I heard it loud and clear! Don't worry, Shepard, you won't be alone for a long time! Oh, boy. <laughs> the end appears upon our screen, just hear the audience crying. Not for happy lovers, but for food that's satisfying. You bet! The cries for armor starve a Frankfurter delicious. Get yours at our refreshment bar, they're juicy and nutritious. If drinks are what you want, we've got them. Hot and cold, just holler. All drinks taste good with Farmer Franks. You bet your bottom dollar. Or if your taste for popcorn set, we have it hot and waiting. For extra treat, just buy a bag. It's fun to eat when dating. But don't forget your armor, Franks. Act on our proposition. Come one, come all, come meet your fill. Right now it's intermission. Hey girls, Valentine's Day is all about the love and love is all about the red. And what's the easiest thing you can do to make your man fall for you? Lipstick. And the best lipstick is Poppin' Red from Lip Pop. Lip Pop uses natural ingredients to make your lips poppin' and keep them poppin' all day long. So get your poppin' lipstick from Lip Pop. WCUG Cougar Radio presents the fifth episode of our new radio drama, Stone Cold Mysteries. Please pay attention, for this drama is interactive. It's a perfect night for a fright here in the bustling streets of London, November 4th, 1890. Stone and Shepard are feeling better, and the city seems to be alive with excitement for the opening night of a theatrical performance. Samantha Stone is riding alone, but with ecstatic anticipation, in a hackney carriage towards the anchor the local and grand theater. An off-duty police chief is waiting at the entrance with high expectations and waning patience. Unfortunately, this little outing night might come to an end with a performance of epic proportions and one that is very real. Is it murder or is it a stunt? Well, let's tune in and find out. Thank you for the ride, sir. How much do I owe you? That'll be ten shillings, ma'am. Goodness. Well, I knew it was going to be expensive. Here you go. Thank you very much, ma'am. Now to find Shepard. Stone looks around and finally sees Shepard. She walks over towards him. Were you waiting long? No, no, I just got here, same as you. I'm sorry. You were waiting here for a while, weren't you? Huh? How? Why do you say that? Well, when I walked up to you, you were tapping your foot and looking at your pocket watch. Usually that means you're waiting for someone who isn't here. Maybe you could have been wondering what the time was, but both things you were doing definitely means you were waiting. Also, your jacket is unbuttoned. For a clean-cut police chief like yourself, you would arrive here with your jacket buttoned and your uniform right as rain. Only after you wait a while would you start to get worried, making yourself hot, which would cause you to unbutton your coat. And, unless I'm wrong, that look on your face when I got here was a look of relief. I'd suspect that, while waiting for me, you've been here at least a half an hour. Am I wrong? All right, all right. You're right. I didn't want to be late, so I left a little earlier than I was supposed to. I guess I was worried that you wouldn't arrive here on time. I always arrive on time. You said to be here half an hour before the show starts, which I did. So we have plenty of time. 
The tragedy of Julius Caesar is supposed to be very well done, especially by this traveling troupe that is performing here tonight. That's what I've heard, anyways. I've seen other shows written by Shakespeare. He's very good. I wouldn't expect anything less from the tragedy of Julius Caesar. Let's hope that this group does it justice. But why did you invite me here anyway? I never heard you express a likeness towards theater. Well, you took time from your day yesterday to help me sort out some case files that some nitwit messed up, and you ended up solving five other cases that were still in progress while you helped. I bet you could have solved the others, but you deemed them too boring. Point is, this is your payment. All thanks. Yes, but that doesn't explain why the theater was your first choice. It wasn't. But I talked to your little helper, and he said that you've been going on about this play, and he said you'd rather see a play than go to Tankard's for a drink. Ha! You talked to Charlie. You said he was just a silly little kid. He was right, though. Yes, well, maybe he was helpful this one time. But I must add, he certainly knew his stuff. You certainly are very lovely to look at for once. That draft definitely does something more for you than your trousers. I didn't even know you had something that beautiful in your closet. Ha ha. Yes, I dressed up. That's usually what one does when one goes to the theater. Like I said, this kind of attire isn't suitable for my daily life and job of investigating. But look at you! You finally look relaxed. No more Chief Shepherd? No. I'm off duty now. It's Carter Shepherd at the present moment. Well, Carter, you do look rather dashing in your suit. But we should be getting inside. There's only ten minutes before the show begins. Quite right. Let's go. Thank you again for bringing me here. This place is very nice, and it's lovely to have a night off from murder. See, Shepard, I am interested in other things besides murder. You know, normal. Now, I wouldn't say normal, but it is my pleasure. Ah, this looks like a good place to sit. Oh, by the way, I'm going to need you to pay me back later for the tickets. I'm not running a charity. What in the world, Shepard? Are you kidding me? You're terrible. What kind of lowly jerk? I was just kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, you two imitating lovebirds, would you two shut up? The show's about to start. Can we arrest her, Shepard? I'm afraid not, Stone. The lights in the theater go down as the orchestra picks up. The performance goes on without a hitch until Act 3 is reached. Oh, Caesar. Hence, wilt thou lift up Olympus? Great Caesar. Doth not Brutus bootless kneel? Speak hands for me. Et tu, Brute? Shepard, do you see that red glinting off the knife on stage? Is that... is that blood? Blood? Blast it! That bloody idiot had to go and start a riot! Great. And just when I thought I was going to have a nice night off. Well... <clears throat> Duty calls. I'll go and round up the actors. You phone the station and get some policemen down here. Hello, folks. When you drop the mistletoes and bring in the chocolate, keep Sophie's Soap Suds in mind because we will help you clean up right. Whether it's wine stains or chocolate smudges, we will clean it up with ease. Our energy-saving, no-water-needed agent will keep everything right so you can stay happy with your love. Enjoy Valentine's Day this year with Sophie's Soap Suds. That's right, folks. When all other soaps are duds, try Sophie's Soap Suds. The police are on their way, Shepard. Goodness, that's why I bloody hate outings in wealthy folk. They act like they've never seen blood before, and they're so very entitled. Very true. Obviously, they have seen blood before, the lot of them. Maybe they just aren't used to seeing murders. But I've gathered the folks that were in the play tonight. Casey Matthews, Jade Lambert, James Merriweather, Sarah Garrison, Deanna Snyder, Thomas Marsh, and Dale Pearson. Splendid. Hello, all. I'm Samantha Stone, private investigator. Oh, before I forget, besides the fact that one of you has no soul and is a cold-blooded killer, you all act splendidly. I was completely captivated by the performance. Well done. Well done. I'm not sure if my group should take that as a compliment, given the circumstances. I'm Miss Snyder, the director of this traveling troupe and also an actor in it. We are a small traveling group, but still one of the best. But, regarding the circumstances, it seems we are losing two very good actors tonight. Indeed. And to find that other actor that you must lose, we must conduct our investigation. It's pretty cut and dry, don't you think? Marsh did it. He's the one who stabbed Wes. 
He didn't even seem sorry about it on stage. It's not my fault that the knife was real. It was fake this morning. It's true that Mr. Marsh stabbed the man who played Caesar, but anyone could have switched the fake knife for the real knife. Aren't the knives you use fake? Yes. We usually like to keep our actors alive when we perform. Sarcasm won't help you here, Miss Snyder. It might actually prove detrimental. I don't think anything is going to help us here, if I may say so. Murder isn't good for anyone. If you choose the wrong person, one of us could be wrongfully punished. Well, if you all cooperate, that won't happen. In all my years knowing this detective, she's never failed a case, so don't expect failure. Cooperate? What exactly are you two going to do? Well, to find a murderer, we must ask questions. That would be interrogating the lot of you. Is this everyone who works with your group? Yes, to speak for our director, she did say we were a small group. Eight people to be exact. Uh, seven now. Soon to be six. That's not a good thing for our troupe. How can you all conduct such a well-done performance with only eight people? With great talent and simplicity. Plus, it helps that not all of us are on stage at a time, and we can tweak the script to fit our needs. The lighting only needs to be a spotlight in the centre of the stage, and the sound is done backstage by all the actors. Sometimes the light needs to be removed, but I do that when I'm not in the scene. I didn't see you at all in this play, though. She didn't need to be in the play, which definitely helps since she could focus on the lighting and sound. Why don't you just hire more actors? Well, usually we do our plays in pageant wagons, so we don't need... Or want more actors. It's easier to travel and learn the parts when all of you can travel in the wagon. And when it's a small group. That's amazing. I can't fathom how that would be done. Splendid work ethic. Good job. Okay, all of this is well and good, but shouldn't we be focusing on the guy who died? The actual problem on hand. Quite right. If all of you can tell me your names and what you do in the performances, that would be very beneficial. Also, the name of the deceased, please, and what he did. Well, I suppose I will go first. My full name is Diana Snyder. I am the director of this traveling troupe and an actor in it. I'm Casey Matthews. I mostly do lighting and sound, as I told you before, but I'm sometimes an actor if needed. A supporting character, of course. My name is Jade Lambert. I'm only an actor here, but it's all I need. I love my job. I played one of the wives in the play. James Merriweather here, at your service. Not only am I an actor, Decius to be exact, but I'm also the prop master. Everything you saw on stage, that was my doing. I did notice that all of the items on stage were only props, not scenery. Yes, that's true. Usually we do our performances in the pageant wagon, so all our scenery is right there. Anyway, I'm Sarah Garrison. I was one of the wives in the play as well, so I'm an actor, but I also do all the costumes. My name is Thomas Mosh. I think it's rather pointless to say my job, but I will anyways. I am an actor. I play Brutus. And I'm Dale Pearson. I played Sinner in this tragedy, so I'm an actor. The dead man is John West. So, if I heard everything correctly, the only people who do things differently than the actors are Miss Matthews, Mr. Merriweather, and Miss Garrison. Shepard, you forgot Miss Snyder. No, all she does is lead the group. That doesn't add anything to the performance. No, she directs the traveling troupe. Okay, same difference. No, Shepard, she's like you, the chief of theatre, per se. She does add quite a bit to this performance. She's the glue that holds it all together. Wow, that is a big job. I didn't know so much went into the theatre stuff. You can see why I only act if I need to. But I'm guessing you're new to the theatre, aren't you? This is his first time, actually. But to continue our investigation, we need to talk to every one of you, starting with the names Shepard listed off as doing something other than acting. So you just expect the rest of us to sit here looking pretty? We have nothing to do, and I feel like this is going to take hours. Well, if one of you wants to confess right now, we won't have to wait. No? Then I guess you'll just have to sit tight. Chief, sir, we're here now. What are your orders? You got here just in time. Watch these folks while we interrogate one person at a time. You know what to do. Yes, sir. Diana Snyder, you are up first. Let's hope, for the sake of your troop, you aren't guilty. Snyder, Stone, and Shepard walk outside the building, out the back door with Snyder leading. The only place that I know we can talk without the others hearing is if we talk inside the pageant wagon. I hope you don't mind. Oh no, this will do nicely. So, what was your relationship with Mr. Wes? Oh, strictly professional. I hired him after we lost an actor because the actor wanted to go back home, live with his wife and kids. 
permanently. He was quite the actor when he came to the audition, so I hired him. He would have been working with us for a year if he had lived to see next Tuesday. So, you hired him a year ago? Mm -mm. What about the other members? When did you hire them? Well, it was all a blur, really. I just hire folks when the position needs to be filled. Everyone, except for John West, had been working for me at least five years. The only ones that have been with me since the beginning is Dale Pearson and Sarah Garrison. They've been with me for 20 years? I think James Merriweather and Casey Matthews have been here for 13, Jade Lambert for 10, and I think Thomas Marsh was the most recent, besides John, because he's been here for five years. Wow, some of them have been here for a while, and they don't look that much older than I am. Are you sure that Garrison girl has been with you 20 years? That would make her much older than me. Or a child actor. I know I'm older than you, Chief Shepherd, but Sarah is not. She joined my troop when she was just six. Just a little girl trying to get away from it all. Just like every other poor kid on the streets. I wasn't about to take her in. If I did, I'd have to do that for every child in London. But when she proved to me that she had prowess in the fields of acting, I told her if she worked for me, she'd always have a place to stay. And here we are, 20 years later. Hmm, I guess she's been with me 18 years, actually. Since she's 24 now. That's quite sweet. I'm glad she was picked up by you. She has great talent. But while we're on the subject, how old are the other members of the group? I suppose you want my age as well. I'm 43. Starting this troop at 23 was hard, but I managed. Especially with the 6, now 24-year-old Sarah, and the 20, now 40-year-old Dale. Jade is 40, Casey is 38, Thomas is 32, and James is 25. John was 32. Hmm. So everyone is over 30 except for Mr. Merriweather and Miss Garrison. But Miss Garrison and Mr. Pearson have had the most experience, being here 20, or almost 20, years. The two main characters, though, seem to be the only people who've had the least experience here. It's quality that matters, Miss Stone, not quantity, which is years in this case. You need to be good to rise in this business, and Thomas and John are, and were, good. Very good. It's like they became whatever character they played. It's phenomenal. Couldn't you see that, either of you? I could see it, even though I don't know much about the theatre. But aren't the others who've been with you for very long sore about this? I would be if some officer in my precinct who just came into the police force was promoted to chief and I was demoted. Shepard is right. I'm sure there would be quite a few sore souls over this. It's hardly fair to be a lead one day, then never again. I suppose that's true. There were a few sore about all this, even a couple of the girls. But like I said, quality over quantity. I'm not about to let our ratings go down over a few hurt feelings. This is a business I run. I intend to continue making beautiful works of art with my employees. So they get paid? Of course. I'm not barbaric. I pay by the role you played and how long you've been here. But the pay always fluctuates since it depends on the profit for each show. Currently, the folks over 12 years are getting a little bit more pay than the lead roles since they are minor roles but have been here longer. Jade is paid a little bit less, unfortunately, but she isn't far behind the leads since she does play a leading lady from time to time. Not the main lady, but it still pays well. Of course, I get the most pay since I direct the troupe and I pay for all of our props and costumes and such. Yes, that stands to reason. You do control everything around here. But I want to return to what you said about the hurt feelings. Who was it that was upset about these two rising to power in such a short time? Dale Pearson, Sarah Garrison, and James Merriweather. James and Dale had the leads before Thomas and John came along. Not sure why Sarah hated him, though. But you knew she hated him. You could see it on her face whenever he walked into the same room as her. I don't think Thomas liked John much either, actually. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. I think Thomas Marsh would be the next logical choice to question, don't you think, Shepard? I do. But if he did have a vendetta against Mr. West, like you just said, then he could have definitely stabbed the man for any ignorance that the knife wasn't fake. 
All right, then. I'll send Thomas in. Stone! What do you think you're doing? Uh, looking through this stuff before Mr. Marsh comes in. Obviously. I figure I have about ten minutes. Five for her to walk back, and five... Stop! You shouldn't be doing this. This is their property and a crime. We own none of this, and she didn't say we could look around. You could be arrested. I could be arrested. You need to stop. Oh, shut up with the police talk already, Shepard. You're off duty and not in uniform, Chief. And besides, it'd be a crime if I was taking things. I'm not taking anything. I'm just looking. There's no harm in that. It, it feels like a crime. I wouldn't want people sifting through my stuff. Welcome to the life of the detective, Shepard. And no one will sift through your stuff unless you commit a crime. Ooh, look here. It's a knife rack, Shepard. Missing a knife. Stone picks it up and looks at it. Here we go. It's branded. To Dale from Mom. Aw, evidence is just popping up. You have way too much fun with this. Might as well, since our night off was interrupted. Stone puts it down and goes over to the trash can. Shame on you, Shepard. Shame. What? Why? For making a lady sift through the trash, especially since you were the one to bring me here. I never told you to look through the trash. And I told you we were looking for evidence. Ever heard of the term chivalry? Besides, it's the least you can do. This blasted dress is hardly letting me do a thing. Oh, never mind. I found what I was looking for. She holds up the fake knife. The stage knife. Oh, wow. That is important evidence. The door is swung open, and Stone quickly drops the knife in the trash and stands up. I was told to come? Uh, yes. We wanted to ask you about the murder. Well, obviously. We already went over that when you told us that we'd be questioned one by one. Um, hey, why are you over by the trash can? There are seats over here. I was just throwing something away, but let's not dwell on that. What's your relationship to John Wes? Beside fellow actors? I'd say rivals. Rivals? You might have to explain that, especially since you are on the chopping block. You did stab the man. Look, I didn't kill him. I mean rivals in the strictest sense. We battled for the best lead roles. Willing to kill for it? Ugh. Look, we battled for the lead roles, that's true. We were the best and we knew it. Unfortunately, he always seemed to get the roles that were the best. Sure. I was second lead, but that's just the thing. I was the second best, always. So yeah, I hated him a little bit. But that's just common jealousy. I wouldn't kill a man over that. If I was caught, I'd have to give up acting. Plus, you know, we'd lose a valuable actor. Hmm, I guess that's true. But how do you explain the knife? Surely you would know that the real knife wasn't the fake. That's where you're wrong, Miss Stone. We try to make our props and attire look and feel completely real. James is a darn genius for that. He even makes sure that the weight is correct. He spent days just messing around with Dale's knives that he got from his mom to make the knife we use on set to look, feel, and weigh just like it. He likes to go the extra mile. But why make the knife on stage look like a regular old kitchen knife? Doesn't that seem so plain? Doesn't it break the allure of theater? It's a play based on an actual event, Shepard. I'm sure Brutus wouldn't have sculpted and created a knife especially for the sole purpose of killing Caesar. A regular knife would do. She's right. That's exactly what Miss Snyder said. She likes to be as correct in her plays as possible. If she says that it looks far-fetched, people won't enjoy it. She says if you can't believe it, then no one will. Well, someone in your troop certainly went the extra mile to make the public believe the play. Right you are, Stone. Mr. Marsh, is there anything else we should know? Um, oh, I know. You should probably talk to Casey. We keep a prop box here in the wagon for plays that we do on actual stages. It's so we can bring all the props that we need, for the actors to use, that is, backstage without having to bring them in one by one. Sometimes we have a lot of props, plus it keeps them all organized. So why should we talk to Miss Matthews? Oh, that's because before we brought the box backstage tonight, I saw Casey sifting through it rather hastily. I don't know if she took something, but she could have switched the knives. All right. Call her in next. We'll clear up whatever she might have done to the props. Right. I'll tell her to come here. Good evening. Stone gets up again and goes over to the trash can. 
and that's why we don't go snooping around people's stuff. You could have gotten caught. Why are you looking through the trash again? To test out if the knife really does look and feel real, and is weighted correctly, so quit being such a worrywart. Hmm, Marsh was right though. This knife is pretty much a clone of the real one. Merriweather does his work well. Can you put the knife down already? Before Matthews comes? I'm not going to get caught, Shepard. So I had five minutes instead of ten like I originally thought. Yes, it took a lot longer to walk back and forth with Miss Snyder since she had a limp. She has a limp? I just thought she walked slow. No, she limps. That's probably why she doesn't act more. I would think that a director who acts a little would want to act a lot. She probably was badly hurt sometime in her career. Something that wouldn't heal correctly. Well, anyway, what do you think about Marsh? He doesn't seem like the killer, but I still think it's up in the air. It's too bad we can't really ask them for alibis. I agree, but there's no need for an alibi when the man was killed when everyone was on stage, right there for the public to see. What we need to do is figure out who switched the knives. The door opens right as Stone returns the knife to the trash and sits back down. Hello, Thomas told me to come in next. What do you need? We are going to ask you some questions about the murder, if you recall. First, what is your relationship to Mr. West? We don't really have a relationship besides a professional one. He wasn't with us long enough to become a friend, and he wasn't nice enough either. He was kind of a selfish, pompous jerk. What do you mean? Well, there's no denying that he was a very good actor. But no one could forget that because he flaunted that notion around like it was a million shillings or something. He believed himself to be sculpted by the theatre gods, if there even is a thing. Perfect hair, flawless skin, perfect body, and tremendous talent. If I remember correctly, one time he confronted me about the lighting on our stages. He said that every time he's on stage, the light should be directly on him, even if he's not speaking. He said, and I quote, A masterpiece should always be gazed upon before its beauty fades with time. Of course, I'll still be a masterpiece, but I'd like for the common public to soak in my handsome young look completely before I reach my dashing old look. If that's not egotistical, I don't know what is. Well, he certainly sounds like the type to be one heck of a heartbreaker. He definitely doesn't sound pleasant to be around. Did this bother you? Yes, but I got used to it after a while. The trick is to just nod your head a lot, but completely ignore him. It certainly helps you to maintain your sanity. Hmm. Good advice. I suppose not everyone could let things like that roll off the back so easily, could they? No, he was good at getting underneath people's skin, but I think the people who were most affected by him was James, Sarah, and Dale. No one was really too fond of him, though, except for Miss Snyder. What happened between the three you mentioned? Why do you say that they were most affected? Well, Dale is easy. I think he felt gypped a lot due to Thomas and John getting all of the good parts. I bet he felt good enough to act the big parts, but he's getting older now, you know. Yes, we all are, except for Sarah and James. But Dale doesn't have the face, you know. And like I said, Thomas and John just had the talent. You just couldn't deny it. And Sarah and James? They are a bit hard to pinpoint. It seems that James is mad because Sarah is mad, though Sarah to me seemed a little scared of John, actually. We all knew that John was sweet on Sarah, but she wanted no part of it. She used to stand up to him whenever he flirted, but then it all changed about two months ago. All of a sudden, whenever he would even come near her, she'd flinch and run to James, or me if I was around. I don't know why she had a sudden change. She wouldn't tell me, even though we were very close. I felt like her older sister some days, but even I couldn't help her with John. I think after a while, she just got tired of even trying with him. I guess running to you is better than wasting your breath on a brick wall. We were told that you were snooping around in the prop box just before showtime today. Can you explain that? You didn't have any props, did you? I didn't switch the knives, if that's what you're trying to get at. And my snooping, as you call it, is very much explainable. I misplaced my work gloves before the show. The lights get very hot during the course of the play, so it's standard safety measures to get some heavy-duty leather gloves so that I can handle the lights without burning my hands. I thought maybe someone unknowingly put the gloves into the prop box, and I was right. I found them there. I could have sworn I put them with all of my equipment. Well, that's all well and good, but can anyone verify this? 
Actually, yes, Jade can. See, I asked Sarah first since she deals with costumes, but she said she didn't see it. Then I asked Jade and she said she didn't see them, but it might prove useful to check the prop box. I told her I found them after I looked and then the play was close to starting, so I couldn't tell Sarah that I'd found them. We'll make sure. Is there anything else you can tell us before we send you to get the next person? I don't think so. Although you might want to ask Jade about a rather heated discussion that she had with John before the show. Thank you for this information. If you could get Miss Lambert, that would be great. My pleasure. I'm happy to help. She seems like quite the relaxed lady, even in light of all that happened today. Yes, that's true. But I can't say that I think she killed him. So far, there's three people who have been fingered by all three of our suspects. Mr. Merriweather, Miss Garrison, and Mr. Pearson. So I call in Miss Lambert first. I'm thinking we should wait for the three last. I feel like more fruit will be bared that way. Besides, we do have to question her about that heated conversation. Stone gets up and starts rooting through the papers on the counter. Again with the snooping? You're going to get us both killed that way. Look, it's an average of five minutes for the suspects to be escorted to and from the wagon. I'm going to use my time to look for some more incriminating evidence. Like what? I don't know. Maybe a letter or a murder plan. Look, are you going to help me or not? This dress is terribly encumbering. I think you're pushing it, Stone. What person would be stupid enough to plan such a calculated murder but fail to throw away something that definitely pins him or her to the crime? A sloppy one? Look... A girl can hope, right? Ooh, this is interesting. Shepard gets up quickly and looks over her shoulder. What is it? Now look who's excited. But from the looks of it, it's a letter from Mr. Pearson's mother. That is some high-class stationery. No kidding. A lot of love definitely went into this. I mean that for the words as well. It's... it's... very sweet. Dear... my little sweetie... I hope my treasure has been doing well in his wonderful dream of being an actor. Don't worry about these wretched men taking my darling spotlight. I know that you will get it soon enough. I just sent you a gift to make you feel better and hopefully it helps you with food. I know you don't cook that much due to how many shows you do, but use them sometime. It'll make Mama so happy if she knows her sweetheart is using my gift. Sometimes maybe we can both use them together. To my love, Dale. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, borderline creepy. It, um, <clears throat> it almost sounds like she, uh, <laughs> has a thing for her son. What tipped you off, Shepard? The many terms of endearment? Or the eyes dotted by heart? The door opens and Stone and Shepard quickly turn to face the door, dropping the letter. Looking at something. No, nothing in particular. I was just wondering why the countertop was so messy. We don't get to clean very often. I was told by Casey that you would like to speak with me now. Yes, that's right. About the murder. What was your relationship to John West? Not anyone important. He was a means to an end, as I see it. Every time he was a lead in our production, we got more money. It was nice to have more income for a change. And now we just lost our cash cow. So that's it. Just a moneymaker. You say it like it's a bad thing. Money sustains us these days, Miss Stone. It gets us food, water, and other needs. Or wants. It's a pretty good deal to me. Well, that may be true, but we heard that you had quite a heated discussion with Mr. West backstage. A discussion that would differ from your claiming apathy for the man. Who do you hear that from? Uh, uh, oh, right. So I was angry with him most days. He was quite a wretched man, you know. A pompous fool who only cared about himself. But you want to know about the discussion? The discussion we had was over him not paying attention to his surroundings. He crashed into me while I was standing there going over my lines. He yelled at me like a dog, saying that I should watch where I was going before I dinted perfection. Hands off the merchandise! I can still hear him saying it. I just lost it because of all my pent-up nerves. Chewed him out real good. But that's all. I'm not some homicidal maniac. Fair enough. Who heard the argument? Everyone backstage, I suppose. I don't know about the folks in the audience, but right after our little spat, it was showtime. We have another question. Did Casey Matthews come to you about work gloves? Oh yeah, she misplaced them before the show tonight. I showed her to check the prop box. Some dummy could have put them there on accident. She came back to me later 
and told me she found them right in the prop box. I thought I could hear her mumbling about how she swore she put them by her lighting equipment. I bet she could have been mumbling about something else. I was talking with Miss Steiner as she left. Oh, I think you should know that Dale came up to me about a minute after Casey left to look in the box wondering where she was. After I told where she went, he just hung around and talked to me. It was a bit strange. Well, she said the same thing about her misplacing and finding her work gloves, so I suppose her story is verified. Although, that is weird. I don't think anyone would have just picked up the gloves and dropped them into a box, thinking that they were props when they are around equipment. I agree, but I don't know why. Is there anything else you can tell us, Miss Lambert? Maybe about who is upset with Mr. Wes? Not really. Oh, but I'm quite sure that Dale, Sarah, and James were sour towards Wes. I mean, he wasn't pleasant to begin with, but they were especially upset with him. I thought, I can't see Sarah being able to switch the knives. She stuck to James, Casey, and I like glue for the last two months. I don't think I can remember a day when she was alone. Hmm, that is strange. But thank you for the information. It was most helpful. I think it would be best to send Mr. Merriweather in next, though. All right, then. I'll send him in. Much obliged. Oh, glad to help with this investigation. Get it over and done with real quick. I don't think we're getting much further into this investigation, Stone. Au contraire, my friend. I think we're beginning to see a clearer picture. What? How? Well, I now know why her gloves were in the prop box. You do? Well, why is that? Have you ever heard of the term a red herring? Yes, I believe it is something that throws off a person or misleads them to a different conclusion than the actual conclusion. Precisely. It was struck up by a pulmacist who used to lead hunting dogs away from their quarry by dragging heavily brined and smoked fish through the grass in the woods. It worked wonders, and he coined the term a red herring, something that misleads a being into believing they found something logical when it was, in fact, just a trick. So, what does that have to do with Miss Matthews' gloves? I believe it was an attempt, although a failed one, to mislead us into thinking that Miss Matthews was the killer. If she was seen snooping through the prop box, she could be penned as the murderer. So, you mean that someone put her gloves in the prop box on purpose, just so that we could conclude that she was the killer? This is quite the mastermind. I'll admit that he or she has calculated this quite a bit, but I wouldn't call them a mastermind. Their red herring was very paper-thin. All Miss Matthews had to do was ask someone where her work gloves were, and then find them and return to the person she talked to. Which she did, but she could have done that as an elaborate scheme to make us think a red herring was happening. Like, a double red herring. Maybe. But I think you're thinking too hard about this. My turn to be on the chopping block. I'm afraid so. We have some questions to ask you about Mr. West and his untimely death. Whatever you want, copper. I didn't kill him, but I suppose you have to go through the motions. And if you could cooperate, we can get it done that much quicker. First off, what was your relationship with Mr. West? To put it bluntly, I hated him with every bone in my body. He was a rat. A talented pretty boy rat. Care to elaborate? Yeah. Why do you hate him? Because he thought he could do anything to people around here and get away with it. All because he was a good actor. He hasn't even been with us more than five years. Everyone has more experience than him. He's just wet around the ears and a jerk. This sounds like more than a talent and experience hatred. I think this is more personal for you instead of a grievance towards him getting a lead role. Yes, sure, you're right. I guess that's not surprising for a hotshot detective. It was personal. He tried to take my girl. You mean Sarah Garrison, right? Yes. How did you know? I think she knows because we remember Miss Matthews saying that she would run to you to get away from Mr. Wes. Oh, yes, that's true. Sarah and I are dating, but John tried to take her away from me, thinking he could get anything because he was good looking. Not even beauty can make your personality pretty. She would stand up to him and tell him off every time that he made advances on her. But one day, it all changed. She started shying away from him whenever he came around, getting away from him as fast as possible. She was once a powerful tiger around him, but ever since two months ago, she turned into a scared mouse around him. She seemed sadder like part of her's gone, and she wouldn't tell me why. And I suppose that's why you hate him. Of course. She was like a bird in the night sky, sparkling for all to see, and as beautiful as a rose, as lively and free as a bird, and 
He robbed her of that happiness. He took away her light, her radiant joy, and he pinned her wings. I'll never forgive him for that, and it'd be an understatement to say I'm glad that the devil is dead. I can tell that you loved her, or those words don't help your case, not in the least bit. I didn't kill him, Chief Shepherd. All I said was that I was glad he was dead. Tell me, Chief, think of the person you love the most, the person you would lay your life on the line for. If that person was robbed of their joy, didn't smile the way they used to, the twinkle in the eye faded, their very soul crushed, almost dead. Would you want the person who did that to live a happy life, or would you wish the person's life to be cut short? I... I I guess in that case I would wish the very fire of hell to consume him. But I can't take justice into my own hands. And I didn't. I'm not guilty of this crime. Let us be the deciders of that. But unless you have clear-cut evidence, you still seem very guilty. In that case, I'd talk to Dale next. He's been quite upset since John and Thomas have joined our group. I can hear him muttering curses towards them, and every time they walk into the room, his eyes scream death. And Dale wasn't quiet about it. He's told me several times that he wished them to be gone or dead. You could tell he hated their very presence. Plus, I saw him rooting in the prop box an hour before the show started. We'll make sure we talk to him, but I need to talk to Miss Garrison first. Your story seems fine, but maybe your girlfriend could give us a little more about you behind the scenes. Maybe something you didn't tell us. Plus, you're the prop master. You're in a very suspicious situation. Fine, but I promise you I'm innocent. Anyone can touch the prop box. I only make the props. Just get the girl, please. Merriweather leaves with a nod. He certainly has a sense of song to his words. I know. He painted pictures with his words. I bet he could talk armies into battle, no problem. I know. Words can be a sort of their own. And with the way he talked, he could be the killer. Or completely innocent. I think we should look for some more evidence in this wagon. Fine. I'll look in the trash. You look on the counter. Am I corrupting you finally? No. I just see the severity of finding this evidence now. We seem to have no concrete evidence on anyone here. Any one of them could be the killer. Also, you look really weird rooting around in the trash with a dress on. I couldn't stand it any longer. Stone and Shepard start looking around. But some are seeming guiltier than others. Blast it. I'm not seeing any more evidence pop up on the counter. Just the knife rack and the creepy note from his mother. How about you? Stone walks over to him and looks over his shoulder. So far, just the knife. I don't see anything out of the ordinary- Wait! What's that crumpled up piece of paper? You mean this one? Yes! It looks like the same stationery as the creepy letter. Jeez! I would never notice that. Well, that's why you're the detective. Shepard gets ready to open it as the door is swung open. He shoves the paper in his pocket just as Garrison walks in. Hello. James told me that I was next. That's right. We need to talk to you about John Wes. Garrison flinches. Y- yes, sure. Anything to help with the investigation. What was your relationship with him? We didn't have a relationship. All he wanted was to take me for his own. Like a trophy. Apparently, he thought only I was pretty enough to be his girl. And I was a good enough actress as well. I did play leading ladies sometimes. We keep hearing that you either hated him or was afraid of him. Either way, your feelings toward him weren't good. Plus, we heard that something happened between you two that caused you to become afraid of him. Nothing happened! I keep telling Casey and James that. Nothing happened. I know that's a lie. Since Mr. West has died, I've noticed that whenever he is mentioned that you shake and your heart rate speeds... I can see it in the wincing of your face and the slight perspiration. Also, when we were around the body, you made it a point to stay as far away from it as possible and wouldn't look at the body at all while everyone else would glance at it from time to time. You are afraid of that man, and from the statements of a couple of our suspects, I'm beginning to get a picture of why. He hurt you in some way, overpowered you, and it scared you. Care to say why, or do I? No, 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 there's no need. Do we really have to go over it? I... I... I'm confused here. You know what happened, Stone? Yes, and it's rather sad. And I can see why it'd be scary. But it definitely gives her motive for murder. Miss Stone, please. I'm trying to forget it. But I can't. And now you want me to bring it back up again. 
I have to. It's my job. Please, for the sake of clearing your name. Fine. John, uh, he was very close to taking me against my will. Something that I only want to give to my husband, which I hope will be James. But in my present state, I can't think about romance. I, I'm damaged and I'm hurt. You mean he... Almost. Almost, she said. How did you stop it? I smashed a glass over his head and ran to James, back to Simmons, where everyone was celebrating Jade's birthday. While he was knocked out and bleeding in the pageant wagon, he said he wanted to talk to me in private. He told me he wanted to apologize for advancing at me, and I believed him. I told everyone that they could go on ahead, that I would be fine alone. Now I'm afraid of being alone, afraid of being near John, wary of men, even James. I feel so broken. I did notice a scar on his temple while we looked at the body. I suppose that's where you clocked him. But I'm so sorry over what happened. Just just know it's not your fault. I know that, but I felt so guilty. I thought I had killed him, and a lot of blood was coming from his head, and he... He wasn't moving. I was hoping that he wasn't dead, but then I didn't... I'm glad he didn't die. I don't want to be a murderer, but when he died tonight, I felt relieved. Like I could stop looking over my back and repair myself. Technically, the first time would have been self-defense. But if you killed him today, it would be murder. Please relax, Miss Garrison. You are among friends here, but we must know. Did you kill him? Kill him? I couldn't even think of him, let alone get near him without freezing up and feeling like I was going to drown. I was never alone from that day on. If I had switched those knives, someone would have known. I was always with James, Casey, or Jade. I do remember Miss Lambert saying something about that. Is there anything else you can tell us? Not really. But you only have one person to talk to next, don't you? Yes, Dale Pearson. I'll bring him in next. But you should know that I was with James the whole time before the show. I was getting the costumes ready, and I was telling him what costumes he had to get ready for John. He always dressed John because, well, you know. So I don't think he could have switched the knives. Thank you for the information. Please, send in Dale Pearson. Oh, and before you leave... I would just like to tell you one more thing. Yes? There's no need for you to be wary of James. I know it's hard after you feel so vulnerable, but he really has your very best intentions at heart. He loves you dearly, Miss Garrison. You can tell that in the way he talks about you. He wouldn't hurt you. In fact, he said he'd protect you with his life. He just wants to see you happy again. I don't think you have to worry about being alone with him around. He is a well-meaning fellow. I'd keep him close. She smiles and tears up. (laughs) Thank you, Detective. Police Chief. I won't forget this. Good luck. It's safe to say that you have a way with words as well. I just wanted her to know she's not alone. By the way, when Meriwether told you to picture someone that you would lay your life down for... Who did you envision? Who's that person that Chief Shepard would protect or die for? You don't need to know. It's not that important, and they seem pretty capable of taking care of themselves. Besides, that day has already come once. I don't need to jinx it into coming again. Again? I think it's time that we took a look at that letter. Looks like a letter to his mum. Unfinished, though. Again, a lot of terms of endearment. Jeez. Yikes. Look at this sentence. That stupid John West should die again and again for taking roles away from the people who earned it. If I could stab him in the back, cause Miss Snyder to see him for the beast he was, I'd do it. That's concerning. This whole letter seems like one large death threat for Mr. Wiss. Put that back in your pocket before Mr. Pearson comes in, though. Good afternoon, Mr. Chief Shepard. We would like to ask you some questions about the murder. Sure, officer. Go right ahead. What was your relationship to Mr. West? Nothing more than colleagues. I was an employee of this group, 
He was an employee of this group. Nothing more. Well, you've come to the conclusion that you really hated Mr. West. Is that true? We all hated him. But yes, I did hate him just a little bit more. I used to be in the limelight before he and Thomas stole it from me. But that's in the past. Really? A lot of your colleagues say that you seem to curse Wes a lot. Threats were constantly coming off your lips. Okay, maybe it wasn't really in the past, but I would never kill him. I love my job too much to jeopardize that for the sake of that lowly snake. So you never wanted him dead? Sure, I did. More like fired. But I wouldn't act upon a murderous idea. Besides, I didn't even go near the prop box tonight. Okay, except to check to see if my knife was there. But I didn't stay long. I'm glad you changed your answer, because someone did see you near the prop box tonight. Like I said, that was because I wanted to make sure my fake knife prop was there. All props are quite crucial to the play, you know. You know who you should be questioning again? Casey. I saw her snooping around the prop box rather intently before the play, right before it started. If she changed anything, no one could have replaced it since the play was that close to starting. You saw her snooping around? Yes. It's not that hard to believe. I'm allowed backstage, you know. Yeah, sure. The knife that was used to stab Mr. West was a knife that you owned. Can you explain that? Easily. Anyone could have taken that knife. I mean, it's not like I have knives locked away. The rack is right there, plain to see. Fair enough. Stone, do you have any more questions? No, unless Mr. Pearson wants to tell us anything else. No, I think that's all I have. I hope I've helped shed some light on who the real killer is. You helped nicely. You can go back to the others now. Tell them we will be out shortly. Yes, ma'am. I shall do just that. I thought you were going to ask the guy about the letters to and from his mom. There's really no need. We are here to solve a murder, not question the guy about his Oedipus complex. There's just no point. Stone stands up. What's wrong? Nothing. In fact, everything is just right. I was just standing up to go back inside to nab the killer. Wait, you figured out who murdered Wes? Yes, and you'll never guess who. Here we are at the end of the fifth episode of Stone Cold Mysteries with a Challenge. Find that killer. Were you paying attention? You now have all the tools to solve the murder. Message us on Facebook at 88.5 FM WCUG Cougar Radio or tweet us at Cougar Radio WCUG with the killer, the motive, and the weapon. Tune in next time to hear the solution and to listen to another Stone Cold Mystery.